So I heard a great statement from a friend and colleague named Fionn, who is a professor out at San Diego State University. And when talking about DEI stuff and working with minorities around racial trauma, she uses this term called death by a thousand paper cuts, talking about the many experiences that many ethnic minorities experience day in and day out and the pain that they carry. And what we know is that even though as EFT therapists, we are so concerned about attachment, but we cannot ignore how these social experiences of being an ethnic minority play a crucial role in attachment style. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Yeah, so once again, just from that teaser, you get to hear what we're going to be talking about today. And what we're going to be talking about is the social experience of being an ethnic minority and how that impacts an attachment style. But I do want to give a qualifier that um, with that, that Ryan and I, we're going to be talking about this in a way because we want to be intentional. Um, this is not um, that we have captured what all of this means for everyone and their experience in the world, but this is going to be coming from what we've learned in our work with our clients, supervisees, and in different trainings within the EFT community. And so by no means, as I speak, uh, my experience doesn't speak for every black person and not every ethnic minority, nor does Ryan speak for every white person with that either as well. But what I do want, that's the essence of this is we do know in the EFT world that attachment is universal and emotions are universal. But we do believe this is a good time for us not to be more intentional about how these social factors play into attachment style. And so once again, we're pushing the leading edge here, right? Yeah, attachment is universal, but universal doesn't mean it's always the same. That's right. Just because it's everywhere doesn't mean it's experienced in the same ways. So I just want to start us off today uh, with an acknowledgement. Perhaps it shouldn't need to be said but there's been so many problems and so much pain here. I think it does need to be said mm -hmm. and continue to be said, especially from white people. So I just want to recognize, you know, publicly the incredible injustice and atrocities that have been committed by people in power against people who have less power and how that injustice, inequality and pain has hurt people who are in less power and eventually hurting all of us. Mm. Especially historically when, you know, you go back to slavery, you know, if you just Google slavery, and I didn't know this till someone pointed this out to me, slavery in one form or another has existed in every culture in history. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to, you have to start asking yourself, what is wrong with us as humans right. that that pattern continues to repeat itself. So, we live, even our sessions, even this podcast, mm -hmm. continue to live in the shadows of what ancestors have done and how awful those things are and how it even enters the internal and external experience of our clients. But not only that, not only the atrocities of the history and how we live in the shadows of that, the ongoing, um, on occasion or more than occasion, more often than it should be, when these patterns continue to repeat themselves, 
with cruelty towards each other, especially from people in positions of power. And even maybe more dangerous than that, the unseen effects of this, the systematic injustice, mm. how we live in structures that were set up by people in power to keep people like them in power. And those are the ones that may be most dangerous because they can often be unseen, mm -hmm. particularly by those that it doesn't affect. Mm -hmm. And so that is socially true. It's also clinically true. And so I just want to acknowledge that, you know, James and I have been doing this for a long time, several years now. In the past year in the United States, it's become, um, I don't want to say popular, <laughs> but all of a sudden there's just all this attention to that. And I, in some ways that feels good to me. In some ways it also feels inauthentic. Ooh. It's almost like it's overdone or even that black people could be used as a commodity by people, uh, which I've heard multiple of my black friends have concerns about. So but anyway, what I do want to say is that this is a huge issue and that this matters. And defining the problem is much easier than defining the solutions. Mm. But I know that solutions have to start, you know, and you said this well, is we have to care. It That's has right. to matter to all of us. And we have to lament mm -hmm. the pain of this together right. before we can come together and grow and join in this dynamic process. So it's important for me just to qualify. We're not doing this because it's some kind of fad or mm -mm. the most popular thing to say. We're doing it because it's right and because people's pain needs to be seen. And so I just want to acknowledge that up front. Yeah, Marianne, um, for me, that I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, there's three things I guess that, that pop out to my mind with this is, one, why are we doing this right now? I feel like I want to, particularly in our EFT community and world, and I, I know Sue Johnson hasn't, uh, I just want to say, that I think, you know, when I got to first meet Sue, we had this conversation, right? Um, we were at a conference and me and Sue were sitting around a table and we're talking. And Sue did share her passion with me about, I have always wanted to do this. And every time I've tried, it just hasn't worked. Um, but I do want to. And so she's kept that commitment to me over the years. We've been in conversation about that. So what we're trying to do right now, though, is an EFT where there has been this place where because of like you talk about being in the shadows of things in the, the field of psychology and counseling, there hasn't been much uh, as much uh, many ethnic minorities represented in teaching curriculum research, those kinds of things. Right. And so, but what I do see right now is there are more, it's growing and their voices are being heard more. They're being seen more. So now we actually have an opportunity to go and do some work that we were not able to do at the beginning. But what's happened is it's just in any system, it's brought some friction with it. And how do we welcome those voices in? How do we allow them to sharpen and challenge us in the areas in where we have not been able to explore because we haven't seen it? And some of that's because this is the world we inherited. So I think that's one part. Um, yeah, uh, you want to say something there? And so also what we're trying to do here is, once again, we are offering you as therapists an opportunity to say, wait a minute, this was never a part of my framework before. And it might bring up some shame or guilt. And you think back on the sessions where you missed it. We want to join you there. That's not what we're trying to do. And particularly what we're going to do in this episode today, we're going to look at how, like, I love how Fionn captured this, the death by a thousand paper cuts. It, what we know from an EFT framework is as you experience pain, you have to do something with it. When you experience pain and disconnection, and then these things, and part of what this, the, the very painful part of racism, Ryan, is when it was enacted, I believe, like in the 17th century, whatever, it didn't just, it was, it, it, 
it degraded the value of humanity. It was saying this group is superior, this group is inferior. So that goes to something we talk about attachment. It waged war on the model of self. Your model of self is not as good as my model of self. And that really causes a wound to both groups in some ways, a false sense of superiority and inferiority. And so that's what we're also dealing with is, is rearranging not only just the model of self, but also model of other. Because of this, I think it's impacted everybody's model of other. And what we see in society is a pervasive mistrust across ethnic lines. Can my black body, and I mean, even me, you sitting here as friends, right, Ryan? You know, we have to work. Like, can I allow my, like, can Ryan Reyna, being a white male, could he ever even allow himself to try to understand what James has experienced as a black guy? Or if I take that risk with Ryan, Will he just dismiss it? Will he just tell me I'm being antagonistic? Or will he do with, with an attachment fear? If I share my pain, can he, can he come closer to it? Can he say, I want to be there. I want to understand that with you, right? Or even for Ryan, it's like there is a risk for you. And I don't know if you remind me, but it's like I as a white male, if I admit my ignorance of certain things, will James reject me? Will he shame me? Will I be invalidated in a way? Or even if I take that risk and I do get into a hard spot, will then he then just kind of go away and leave me there in that spot? Um, so it is a, a huge, I think, a lot of mistrust out there around this. And some of it is because we're living in the shadows of it. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. That's well said. You said a lot of good things there. I'm Processing sorry. a bunch of them. No, it's a, yeah. I really like the last part of what you said. It's easy for a person in the majority and – we can use white, black, we can use majority. You know, the words are sometimes tricky. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like this is just a white, black issue. There's racism all around exactly. the world, but I certainly want to admit the white it problem as well. Uh, but it's easy for a white person to, to slip into the role of a withdrawer right now. Yes. Which is to say, I don't want to say it wrong. I don't mm -hmm. want to get it wrong. I don't want to take a chance of this. Or maybe I don't want to look at my side of this and mm -hmm. therefore not play. Exactly. Right. But then that can, just like in a vicious cycle, what does that say to the other party? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't matter. We don't care. Or we're just sort of okay with your suffering. So that risk is too great. You know, I think we said this before, it's better to do it wrong and to go through a repair than to just not respond. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm mindful a couple of years ago, we flew Catherine Bruin in, our, our friend and uh, trainer out of San Diego for Core Skills 2. Never forget this. She came in. She was very bold. I liked it. She opened the whole uh, EFT training by saying this. People think that EFT is all about safety. It's not. EFT is all about taking risks. We are trying to get people to take risks. I'm like, that's bold. And she's right. If people won't take risks, they won't change. It's just a fundamental truth of the universe. Where that becomes relevant right now, though, is you won't take you you won't take risks unless you have safety first, not risks that are helpful at least. So the order really becomes key. I have to have safety before we can take risks, before we can change and achieve our goals. So I like what you said right there. As Bowlby teaches us, the sort of three areas that are most impacted by attachment or most relevant to attachment or emotional regulation, mm -hmm. uh, view of self, view of other. This is impacted from the day we're born and how others respond to us, how secure we feel in the world. So right off the bat, the experience of social 
injustice, inequality, marginalization affects all three of those. Correct. How can I, how can I regulate my emotional world if I'm always in danger or more often in danger? Mm -hmm. How can I develop a secure sense of self? And how can I develop a secure sense of how, how other people are when I, I'm in threat and not seen? And so I think with when you are with someone who's had that experience, being in the shadows of an unjust world, whether it's whether I'm actually the one who has created the injustice or not, I am now part of this. Mm. And that bar is higher for good reasons. If I don't recognize the reasons the bar is higher, I will continue to miss the bar mm. and or learn to resent the bar and feel like I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's just precarious places we can miss here, but also great opportunities. That's right. And that's a good transition point. And so one of the things, you know, we wrote this article with um, some colleagues, Charlie Simpson out of Little Rock, George Fowler, Ryan and myself. We wrote this article called Loaded Attunement and the idea and pertaining how it goes here. Once again, Fionn's great quote, the death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. When she said that about the experience of ethnic minorities is as the therapist. <laughs> You become a part of it because in a way, when it's a part of your client's prison, well, we'll break that down. But is how do we begin to move, particularly what we're talking about in this episode, is we're not going to cover all of the ways in which it looks in EFT. So we're not going to really go over assessment right now. What we're going to talk about today is moving towards ethnic minorities and the protection that they've had to learn to live in the world where they probably have had the experiences of the death by a thousand paper cuts, Right. And so that's what we're going to talk about is how do we move towards and making sense of the fears and strategies that they have employed in order to help them to exist and thrive in the world. And so that's what we're going to be talking about, particularly with uh, uh, the anxious uh, pursuers, uh, anxious ambivalent pursuers and the avoidant withdrawers. Right, Ryan? You ready to get into this? So what we want to talk about first with anxious ambivalent pursuers is kind of their fears. And so I'm trying to take that in. So I've been an ethnic minority, you know, and I've probably I've probably had several rounds of experiences, direct racism, or I'm not quite sure. Right. You and I were processing some experiences where I was I was in a situation. I was like, is that because I'm black or is it because of this? I don't quite know, but I still had to ask the question. Right even as a colleague with Ryan, right? Like, but you didn't have to ask that question in that space, right? Right. right. Yeah, we were in a training one time and just the way the group responded was just odd. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, we were, we were online and we would hit mute and be like, what, why is that happening? Is this yeah. a race thing or is something else going on? That's right. So, you know, people are, there's people, if you just live in the world long enough, you're gonna be mistreated. Mm -hmm. The difference is you had to weigh out, is it because of the color of my skin, mm -hmm. right? So that's a privilege that I carry that I don't have to ask that question, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so it takes even more energy out of you mm -hmm. just to work that situation. So it's important that we as white people see that. Because yeah, I'm already showing up trying to like, you know, learn what it means to be a trainer and these kinds of things. But uh, anyway, so, so taking that, even just that in, like, what do I do now? What attachment strategy do I employ to then deal with that was like a small one you know but I have had instances Ryan where it was like racism was obvious right right um I mean said to me explicitly right yeah. <laughs> like almost not get jobs because of wow. right yeah. and so how do you metabolize what do you do to deal with that energy so the first one we're talking about once again is that anxious ambivalent pursuer 
And so what's the strategy usually, and we're just going to talk in general here. What's usually the general strategy, Ryan, for the anxious, ambivalent pursuer? Yeah, the anxious, ambivalent pursuer, let's start with the fear, if that's okay. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the typical, and we're, as, as always, when we talk about attachment styles and strategies, we're, we're painting with a broad brush. There's always exceptions. Everybody's a little bit of both, but you can see some clear patterns. So for your anxious, ambivalent pursuer, typically their fear is around abandonment. It is around rejection, it is around not being wanted, those sort of things. So as usual, anytime I start talking, a metaphor pops to my mind. Go for it. Uh, I was in the, it's kind of hard to describe. I was in this ocean situation years ago <laughs> with my children were there. And it was like, it was salt water, but it was like in a pool. It was in a pool. It was a dolphin exhibit. If you've ever heard of those things, it was really strange already. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're like waist deep in water, but there's dolphins all around us. All right. So it was pretty safe, but you really couldn't see what was going on beneath you. So it was always a little, you know, you're always kind of paying attention to what could be going on down there. <laughs> so if you can imagine there's like 10 people around and for some reason you are able to have an angle that nobody else is having. And you can see that's not a dolphin. That's a great white shark and it's coming and it's going to be here in 30 seconds. And you say, hey, 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 guys, hey, hey, it's a shark. It's a shark. But nobody responds. Mm. And nobody sees the threat. You, you are alone in holding the view that there's trouble and something's wrong. I think that's kind of the greatest, a decent metaphor about the greatest fear of being a pursuer is I have this problem by myself. I don't have an ally. I'm not going to be chosen. That, that, that one hit me, Ryan. Like, so just feeling that as an ethnic minority. Mm -hmm. Hey, you all, there is a problem. Mm -hmm. We have a serious problem here. And it might be, you know, we, whether it's in the EFT community, whether it's in society at large, but let's even go within therapy, right, just right now. Hey, therapist, there is a problem here. There is a big problem. I feel as an ethnic minority, it is playing a huge role in how I am being treated uh, in my job, and that's having an impact on me. And I even think maybe it's impacting my relationship. It's a huge problem here, and I need you to see it with me. And the more someone doesn't respond, the more your body amps up to say the shark is coming, the shark is coming, the shark is coming. Exactly. And so then your body sends you a strategy, which is to say, get people's attention. Right. Activate. Point out the problem. Scream louder. Scream louder. Scream louder. And if in the ethnic minority position, how could that be interpreted, right? Why are you so angry? Yeah. It's not really that big of an issue. That was so long ago. Yeah. Or even like for me in my therapy room, like some of the some of these people I see, they they've done well in life. But look at where you are. What about such and such? All register as invalidations, dismissiveness. You don't quite see it with me. You don't see the shark that is biting me. It's literally grabbing me right now in this room. Right. Right. So getting practical, you know, just trying to put myself in the shoes um, of a, an ethnic minority pursuer. And again, the language may not be perfect there. <clears throat> if that's not a language, if that's not a word that works for you, please, please put the word that should be there. Yeah, there you go. And let me first just stop right there because it's really important as a white therapist for us just to do what I'm trying to do right now, I think, 
which is to just stop and say, I won't fully understand this. Thank you, Ryan. That's good. I, I won't always know what it's like to be a person of color. I do care. I'm trying to understand. I also acknowledge the fact that I won't fully get it. But my guess is. But also not doing the other part and it's saying, because I can't, I just won't even try right. to come. I won't try and move towards you. I'm going to disengage. That's right. Or not care. Yeah. Yeah. So my sense is, and then you correct me, um, although you may be guessing some here too, because I'm not sure this is fitting your personal <laughs> style. But, <laughs> but my guess is when I have, when I'm taking rejection messages all day long, when at work, I don't get promoted like my colleagues or maybe socially, I'm not invited in some ways or when I'm treated disrespectfully or even, even the vicarious experiences. I think those are factors too. When I look around and see my fellow yes. marginalized people mistreated yes. or I turn on every movie and people with my skin color are um, shown in certain lights, mm -hmm. which are either extremes or negative. This just weighs on me. Mm -hmm. So the pain of this abandonment, rejection, feeling unwanted, feeling like I'm the only one who sees this problem, by the time I make it to your office and I'm paying you to help me change, the pain of my overall experience is very, very relevant to the process where I need you to help me. That, that's my best, mm. best way to say it, James. Help me out there. No, I like it. I don't know if I'm, but when you were saying that, even like my attachment strategies, what came up for me was how I was raised. One of the figures that was really big to me growing up and whatever, it was Martin Luther King. And I think also with my family though, the way I was raised, Ryan, was there was this sense of a way of having a responsibility to my family and to my community. Yes, I need to go out and work hard and be a good person, but there was also like this sense of, and it is a part of making uh, things better for people like you, James in a way, right? And I know that's like, what do you mean? But it did feel like, because it felt like we had to have that camaraderie and that bond because we were already like the minority. So if we got to have this sense of coming together to fight. So when you said that, I felt that like, when I, when I saw the Ahmaud Arbery killing, I mean, it hit me. He wasn't my cousin, he wasn't my brother, but it hit me and I felt it right. big time. So anyway. It hit me too, but not at the same level yeah, as you, yeah. right? Because you've been in those situations in, in ways that differently than me yeah but i want to say with this one i do find myself around the racial conversation when i do things like healing conversations workshops whatever i do feel a little bit of this pursuer energy come up in me and when i feel the dismissiveness hit or someone kind of like the things that trigger me like on social media well everyone's got this or what about this or if you had just obeyed the cop like this yeah that triggers me i'm like whoa 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 you are missing the fundamental point here and if and if and i need you to to show me that you see this. Mm -hmm. And you've even talked to me like, whoa, James, I'm kind of seeing a different energy come out of you that's normal. Yeah. Normally, you know me, my other attachment strategy that right. I really live in life is right. whatever, fine, I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. but this one gets me activated. I even feel the energy coming up in my yeah. body now. I love that energy, right? I mean, that's why pursuers are great. We need somebody to change and pursuers are great change agents. That's right. Someone's got to bring it forward. Anger, anger is a statement of needing change. So the fear is, is that you, that I, there is a real threat and you won't see it with me and we won't be able to address it together. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. And the strategy, and the strategy is I will escalate 
in a way, not I say escalate, not, but like I will try and rev up some more energy to yeah. get you to see it. But then when I do that, then I'm blamed, I'm told I'm too much, right. I'm angry, and I try to manage the energy the best I can. But if I do nothing and I say nothing, and I don't see the sign that you're going to see it with me, I can only hold for so long. And I might let a thousand things pass, but then at 1001, it hits me again, and I got to say something. And we just keep repeating it. If I say something, it doesn't go well. If I don't say anything, nothing changes. How does it feel to be in that place? It just sucks. It's the death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. And man, look at, we're just in a mirroring process right here, right now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about a racial experience in an in unjust world? Are we talking about, you know, two partners together? There's a lot of similarities there. Exactly. I'm not saying they're exactly the same. Mm -hmm. There's differences, but there's a lot of similarities there for sure. You know, and I'll just, just trying to like walk around this and be transparent. Sometimes I'm, I do better with this conversation than others. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, I, I, I don't, anger doesn't bother me too much. You know, I, I, ha I have a harder time if I feel mischaracterized, Ooh. right? Then I, yeah. I tend to, I tend to be more defensive at that point, but I see someone who is in an unjust place being angry. I'm like, good on you. You should be. Let me stand with you and, and be angry with you. I think that's where cycles can happen, though, around this, you know, because I put myself back in that pursuer position, or I'm trying to, mm -hmm. a marginalized pursuer position. And it's like, okay, I, I said this nicely 10 times. Now I'm going to say it 10 times not as nicely. And you still hadn't heard me 20 times in a row. Now I don't care. Mm. Screw you. I ain't taking care of you anymore. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to find a way to get your attention, right? Mm. So that 50th time, you know, it may go deeper, more personal, accusatory, whatever it is. I do think that speaks, that is consistent with attachment style. Yeah. It's just what I see people in my office do. It, it does make perfect sense. It's not crazy or whatever language you would want to put on that. But definitely where I liked how you said it, it's not the exact same. Because if it's ethnic minority, then I carry that experience into every single one. And whereas maybe sometimes with, well, maybe the other one, but like particularly like when I'm seeing couples, it could some of their attachment style stuff does show up with their boss, but it's not as like, uh, I don't know, it's just something that's so more um, blatant, I guess, with it in a way. Like I'm always a black man. There's never a time, you know. Like that's always there impacting it's a social factor of how people see me and how maybe they interact with me or what they expect of me because as people we try and create shortcuts in our mind and society feeds us certain narratives about people groups and we can if we're not careful we can feed into those shortcuts that are very not, not helpful at all mm -hmm. but anyway so and so so we the strategies might be once again it, it is trying to rev up it's like that get it and then finally it's i've tried it nice 50 times right. now here i go I'm not going to be so nice yeah. because you didn't hear the nice ways I tried to say exactly. it. Exactly. And right. I would rather, I would rather, you know, show you what's going on and get, and, and get some response than to sit here and somehow just be, stay in this position where I feel neutralized and get no response. Wow. So that does make such good sense. And so the key there for the therapist to be practical here is, is how do you, how do you, what we should do in EFT anyway, we rave it, we reflect it, yeah. we accept it. We validate it and we explore more. And even with, I like the one you just gave a moment ago, and we can give this, I don't know exactly what it's like. And I can never say, I'm not going to say I'll ever know fully what it's like, but I will, I, I'm willing to go with you as far as you need me to go to be where you need me to be with you. 
in this experience. Yeah, I want to. If it's okay, I'd like to respond to both of those because I, I don't want my comments to be misunderstood. These conversations could be so sensitive, and, and for good reasons. I am not at all saying that the responsibility on the marginalized person is to always be nice or something. That's, That's not right. what I'm saying at all. I'm 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 confessing that sometimes I respond better than others mm -hmm. based on you know my body's response to it. Uh, so I'm, I, I think th there's a great space for anger. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at a lot of the protests that have happened in the last year, they make perfect sense. And, and I'm glad they're happening. And we need to make changes, mm -hmm. period. I think as a therapist, what's most important is, you know, we've just been talking about this for like 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. and I can feel it. You're mm -hmm. talking about you're feeling it. Mm. So just it's important as therapists to imagine who, someone who has to live this every single day. That's the point. Every single TV show, every time the news comes on, you know, the number of people in prisons, you know, just ongoing, ongoing all the time. Mm. They show up in my office talking about a presenting problem, but that also is a presenting problem. That's right. And they may not be able to or willing to let you know the pressure they feel so that the honest becomes on our side to say, there's a really a reasonable chance this person this is playing into this person's experience of the world. And until as a therapist, I'm sorry, until the client can can sense my therapist gets me, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel cared for. My therapist has my back. Um, I'm safe with them and the process is safe. Until that's the case, they shouldn't open up space for risk. You see, so I think that's the piece that we have to recognize that in some ways presenting problems are the same. In some ways, it's like a different aspect of what it takes to achieve safety. I like that. You ready to move to the avoiding withdrawers, right? I am. It's, that feels much easier for me, James. That's that's where I live at more times. <laughs> I'm just <tonight>. joking. <laughs> but I do want to say this. So the, the fears of the avoiding withdrawer, kind of like my understanding in that part is that the fear is, is if I do open up, if I do share, if I do allow myself to feel my that pain or those emotions or my needs, and if I put them out there, then things are just going to go wrong. It's going to blow up. Things are going to get bad. That's the fear there. So the way I have to kind of learn to the strategy I employ in that place, and this is when I've confessed to you, we talk, you know, as friends, right, is I measure constantly. I measure is this place safe? Is it right? In which that's good. But what I'll do is I withhold, I withhold, I withhold, I withhold. Even if I see something that bothers me, it's like, eh, you just got to swallow that. You just got to swallow that because if you say anything, you bring it up, it's not going to make a difference anyway. So why even bother? Why even bother to bring it up? It's just, you can handle it by yourself. Right. And, because right. I mean, that serves a very good function, and yeah. particularly for me, I think, as a, as a black male, it has worked, studied, and worked in predominantly white spaces. It's why bring it up to them? It's not an issue for them. It's an issue for you. So, James, you've got to figure out how to handle this on your own. Yeah. Particularly because I haven't seen in other situations where maybe there's another ethnic minority in the space, and if they try to bring it up, I see, I'll say this, particularly when, I, when all these things happened over the summer, I watched how when other ethnic minorities expressed their pain, how they were responded to by white friends and colleagues and church members. And I'm like, see, that's why I don't tell anybody about mm -hmm. what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think about that avoidant attachment style, the distancer behavior, withdrawer behavior. You know, they kind of live life already on defense a little bit. Yeah. The fears are often around, and I'm speaking for everyone here. We'll make it, we'll pull it back to marginalization in a moment. Uh, failure. Yeah. Being seen as not enough. Yep. You know, and and if if I move forward, I'm going to make it worse, kind of like what you were saying. Oh, yeah. And the strategies end up, I think they're more diverse, actually, um, for all withdrawers. Mm -hmm. I think there's a sense of damage control. Mm -hmm. Just say what I got to say. Or I've been pushed too far, and I'm about to get some space. Mm. Like I'm going to come out with a, with a bunch of anger and a bunch of whatever words you want to use there. So those are consistent things that we see with the avoidant attachment style. You know, mm -hmm. uh, or I'm going to go outperform this. Mm -hmm. You see that sometimes, I think, in, in marginalized groups. I, I'm going to outsmart this, yep. outrun this, outperform this, so that way, I, that way failure cannot get to me. Yep. I, so, and I mean, if I'm just being vulnerable in that space with it, oh, that's helped. That's what helped make Dr. Hawkins a little bit, yeah, right? That's bet. what helped drive me in like the EFT trainer. It's like, if I am so much more skilled and studied and better, you cannot dismiss me. Yep. And that is perfectly, it makes perfect sense. And it's not wrong. I mean, sadly, mm -hmm. that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And yet if you're my client mm -hmm. and along that journey, where you've got to be that much faster, that much smarter, that much more qualified, that much more skilled, that has a price eventually. Mm -hmm. How's that affect your behavior? How's that affect your sense of self? Yeah, exactly. How's that affect your view of other? How's that affect your flexibility to respond to your partner and, and help your partner respond to you? The answer is a lot. And as a therapist, it's my job to be able to not to assume that, but to make space to look for that and to give it a weight in the in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I thank you for saying that, Ryan. And it's like what's helped for me is now what it's for me. It's like I'm claiming back the authentic part of me. Like it's not just because I'm a black male I have to do that. Some of that is it just it is a partly a true drive of James, right? So it's even and I guess what I'm saying is in in that is. There have been some beautiful things that have come out of it. And now it's like this, I'm reowning like my model of self. Who are you truly, James? What define what are the all the aspects of the things that define who you are, how you see the world, how you encounter the world? And and I want to own those because I don't want my over to performance to take away my humanity. Mm -hmm. I lose my humanity in a part of that. Mm -hmm. And then that just and so I'm like, wait a minute, that's still the shadows affecting me, right? Because mm -hmm. some of this, you know, as we're talking about this, and I won't I don't want to open up too much, but there is that sense of intergenerational trauma, like right in many minority communities is, you know, um, I think about my, I did not live in, in the, the, when we think of traditional Jim Crow, but my mom was a little girl and her mom was the directly infected by it. My family lived on sharecropping lands and they've always taught every generation about what it means to, to survive and to work and be in spaces with, in, with white people. Right. Um, and so, and so they taught me these things and I've embodied some of those. And now it's like, okay, what does that mean for me in this context in which I live now? And, and, and how do I claim that part of me back that maybe the, like the, 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 the struggle or the, the, the harshness of racism tried to take from, from, eth from eth different ethnic groups, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't just want to. Yeah. I'm thinking 
That's good. I'm thinking about trying to zoom in on the experiences of a withdrawer who experiences marginalization. I grew up in a, in a town that had a lot of diversity and then I had all these different experiences. I won't go into my story. <laughs> I think that's something white people can do sometimes too much. So I won't do that, but I can. So anyway, this is not a new conversation for me. It's one, it's one that I've been having since, uh, since high school, but I do remember maybe 12 years ago. That may not be the exact number, but, <clears throat> um, you know, just someone was was an, an awakening point for me was listening to a parent talk about her black child. Mm. And that was that's heartbreaking for me. Right. As a parent of teenagers, it's like, man, someone should have told me it was going to be this hard. You know, and I got great kids. I mostly just mean how scary it is to put them out into the world. So you think about the experience as a black parent. African-American, African-American, however that person wants to be located or described. Um, but the one I'm thinking of used the word black, so I'm going to quote her. Just how scary it is to send her, you know, 16-year-old son out driving somewhere. And I just recall how she described her advice to him, right? Mm-hmm. If you get in the situation, if you get stopped by the police, what do you think her advice was? Comply, put both hands on the wheel. Yes, sir. No, sir. Don't make any sudden movements. Keep your voice toned down. And there's your withdrawal strategies right there. Don't cause problems. Don't be too much. Just stay, keep your head down. And you, and you can totally empathize. It's not bad advice from that mom, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that, that's that strategy we're talking about. And even about if there. you feel like it's not fair, don't say anything about it. Absolutely. We'll take care of it when you come home. Absolutely. And, and that's from a societal fear perspective because we see so many things. There, there's been so many difficult awful, even all the way to murder scenarios that oftentimes the strategy is just don't make it worse. And again, that makes perfect sense. Also comes with the cost. But let me, this is because I know that's a popular topic for it to be applied, but it's not just like, but I've seen that like that happens with bosses at work, teachers at school, (laughs) the, 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 the angry person who might be fussing at you in a department store. Um, a road raid situation or following you around in the department store. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Don't make a scene because yeah. you are, <laughs> chances are you're going to be presumed a threat guilty. And, and when people get into fear, they do things to protect themselves and that could bring harm to you. So you've got to like really hold that in. So making this practical. Yes. Making this practical. I spend a lot of time and I don't know where I got this from somewhere. I'm not, I don't have any original thoughts. I don't think, but I spend a lot of time in Core Skills 1 and EFT talking about alliance. You know, when you're working with more than one person in distress situations, alliance is not a fixed dynamic. It is a constant process of resetting. Yeah. Rupture, repair. Rupture, repair. You know, you're aligned, then you rupture, then you repair. If that's not happening, you're probably not on the leading edge. Mm. So, so specific to this, just unpacking what you're describing there, what we're describing of the experience of a withdrawal and living under that pressure and always trying to not be too much, always trying to mitigate the possibility of being harmed. If that's their walk or that's, that's their experience walking around in the world. Then they're in my office. We're in a heated situation. Their pursuer partner says something and I validate that mm-hmm. pursuer's anger. And now validate that pursuer's criticism. How's that going to feel? 
once again, here we go. Yep. It's what you expect, especially if I'm white. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Right? That doesn't feel good no matter what the race is. But another 20, 25% of impact when that's something your body's already having to walk around attuned to. Mm-hmm. And it can still work if I see it. But if I assume that it's all equal, it doesn't matter, that, you know, this withdrawer's pain is just about the pursuer cycle, mm-hmm. I've missed a significant percentage of their experience. And the, the real risk is, I think, that they'll just say yes to me because that's what they've known to do. Yeah. And in doing so, I've actually hurt their partner because now we've lost a significant part of that person. Right. And even as you bring that up from that one, we've got some great therapists here that some um, I think they would identify as well I'll say, but as black women. And they're working in some in some cases with people and they're having to consider, like, how does that come across when working maybe like with an interracial couple? Right. And like as me with you know me as the black therapist with the one side of the relationship that's black and the other partner is white. How does that land? So, man, I got two quick comments. Go ahead. You know, one, um, thinking about white privilege. I know that's somewhat controversial topic. You know, just for me, I didn't grow up wealthy. My parents are both school teachers, small town in Arkansas. Um, but there was certain privilege that came with being of the majority race. I was not aware of that, but looking back on it, it's like, well, yeah, duh. But the big one for me was education. Both my parents were uh, had post postgraduate education and from kindergarten, education, education, education. Just drove me crazy. I hated it, honestly. I hated it. <laughs> I hated every day of school. And yet looking back now in my 40s, I'm like, yeah, that, that put me ahead a little bit mm-hmm. from some of my friends and colleagues whose, whose grand, grandparents wouldn't have had that opportunity living in a segregated South mm-hmm. and so forth. So recognizing... I don't feel ashamed of the fact that education was, you know, given to me or, or, or promoted in front of me. What I do, what I would do want to do is to see that I have an opportunity to use it for good. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think sh- we should think about as white people. Instead, I got to get past the whole shame response or fear response and just recognize, hey, I've been given good things. Let's give it out. Mm. Let's help people. That's that's what I want to put out today. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I may say it differently in two years, but today I think that's this opportunity. And as I think about it from on the side of, and once again, this is just me thinking and not, it can't speak for everybody either. But like when I think for on the marginalized side, is this like I can see we you know today just talking about the different ways in which you probably have like dealing with those styles and paper cuts. You are going to employ some type of attachment strategy to manage that. And we hope that some ways, maybe the examples we use or whatever, puts more flesh to that and that it's seen. And that, I guess for me, what was a gift for me was seeing some of that and how it affected my model of self and my ways of coping in the world and not being, and I want to say stuck in ways that weren't as productive to me and reclaiming the authentic parts of who I am and how I see myself and how I show up in the world. So that way it's congruent to trying to like, I don't know, I say true, authentic me, but it's not like, like just living in like what we talk about with attachment strategy, the reactive, the unsafe, protected places. What are what are James's hopes and longings truly for himself, for the world and he lives, for his family, for his community, and for my clients as well? And so, you know, today, once again, just talking about the attachment fears and strategies and how social um, experience can impact those attachment styles 
And we hope that Ryan and I's examples put some more flesh for you as therapists so you can picture it, maybe see it more, give you a little bit more words and language and a felt experience so you can carry that into the room so that you can take the risk to begin to say, I don't perfectly well understand, but I want to try. And right now, like in being able to, as I'm trying, as the best as I understand it right now, but I want to know what it's like for in like given that broad general, but that don't leave it at the broad general, but I want to know what it's like for you. And I'm, and you taking that risk to create that safety for your client. Yeah. I want to say one last thing, just to clarify, I said something early on and that kind of was left unclear and uh, it's, it's controversial or, or weird, but I'm, I'm saying it because I'm quoting two of my black colleagues mm-hmm. who are saying it, you know, the anti-racist movement this year, especially is I think good and it's really created important dialogues, but the concern of about black people being used as a commodity, mm-hmm. you know what I meant by that. And again, I'm quoting someone else that I think this is about helping people, which is great. Sometimes it also may get caught up in a culture war, whether that's political parties or different things that are going on and a concern that this is being used to create other agendas. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. So I love one participant. She kind of pushed me on this where I was kind of talking about ethnicity in this broad category and she really fought and protested. But what about me as a person? And what I think even what you're saying is, we don't want to repeat the same cycle and take exactly. away humanity. If part of what got us here is because of the degradation or the missing of humanity of people, we don't want to make the same mistake in the correction of that, of that part too. So some of that, you know, anyway, we could go into a whole other thing about that, but thank you for bringing that up, Ryan. 100%. Y'all. So we thank you so much for once again, this is a conversation Ryan and I, as we're trying to push our leading edge and hopefully it'll help you be able to push your leading edge as you work with your clients as well too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, RyanReynaTraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com.